And welcome back to the Amban. I'm Matt Ferreira. And I'm Ezra. And we know it's been a while, but obviously we're back. And we're going to start off with a little lighthearted fun in the uh, Arkansas game the other day, Matt. I know you're a real big fan of this one. There was a raccoon in the stands. Don't really know how that happened. But I just, I, the only thing I've actually seen about it was that the guy who, who originally picked up the raccoon changed his profile picture on Twitter to just a picture of him holding the raccoon. And I think that's just, I mean, how can you not love that? Yeah, it was a really funny video. I remember I was like watching playoff basketball or something. I saw it on Twitter and I was just like, only in the SEC would there be a live raccoon in the stands and this guy just picks it up and brings it back out into the wild. Yeah, no, why not? It's a raccoon. It's not like it's going to be dangerous or have rabies or anything. Oh, it was something like it was one of the viral tweets that you see and you're just like, did I read that right? Yeah. And reading, you gotta, you gotta really take a second look at stuff like that, but you also gotta take a second look at something that happened in the Oklahoma state game. Now this guy, Griffin Dorshing, who's 23 years old, he's only just the same age as my brother, which is weird to think about hit a ball 513 feet. Obviously, you know, there's the whole discussion between metal bats wood bats what hits the ball farther but if you look at the farthest ball hit in the stat cast era so the most accurately known farthest hit ball that we know it was Nomar Mazzara in 2019 who hit a ball 505 feet Dorshing hit the ball 513 feet and the swing was just it it didn't look like he was trying (laughs) it was the most effortless swing I've ever seen in my life I thought that ball was going to go like 450 and then I saw like it just disappear and I was just so lost. It's the ball that you hit in the show in a home run derby at Coors Field that just kind of disappears because it's gone too far for the game to actually track it anymore. But in real life, and I don't remember the last time I actually saw a ball that really disappeared like that because even Mazzara's home run, I remember seeing it a few years ago it was, you still, you saw where it landed because, you know, MLB stadiums, you always see where it lands, et cetera, et cetera. But the ball just disappeared into the night. And I don't even know if Dorshing even realized that he had hit the ball as far as he did until probably after the game, because the ball, when the ball disappears like that, you're just like, where'd it land? And nobody probably saw that. Yeah, I mean, I think the only person I've ever seen hit a home run in similar distance, and, like, I remember watching the clip and going, geez, was uh, the Futures, like, home run derby in the All-Star game for um, when the Guardians had it, and Blaze Jordan hit the ball off the scoreboard. Yeah, that was... Even that ball, you saw where it landed. Exactly. <laughs> That's part of the fun of of college baseball. I, I think the only home run that I know exactly where it landed in college baseball, at least from my personal experience, was the uh, Jake Hatz bomb at Fraser Fields. But that's because I saw it from the booth. And it's just, it's crazy when you, especially in lower level college and even, even in D1 though, you, the ball just disappears and you just like got to find it now. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. I love, like, certain angles where you just see the ball disappear into the sky. It's just 
one of the cool things you don't get to see in the MLB or in even minor league baseball nowadays, where just watching the ball disappears one the into what seem seemingly air, just into the air and just into dust. It's it's a new aspect of the viewership experience that I don't think gets talked about quite enough. But moving on to another really effortless swing was O'Neill Cruz. <laughs> Who hit the ball? What what was it like? One hundred thirty miles an hour off the bat or something? So O'Neill Cruz hit the ball at one hundred twenty one point seven miles per hour, and I think only Stanton has a harder hit ball at one hundred twenty two point two. Get him in the league. That's all I gotta say. Get get O'Neill Cruz in the league because I remember early in the year there was that video of him hitting a bomb, and he just chucked the bat and kind of light like obviously you hit a home run you'll light jog around the bases but it was almost as if he was pissed off that he wasn't in the league so he wanted to make sure everybody knew it and then he hits a ball 120 plus miles an hour the other day the fastest ball hit off the bat by a lefty beating Otani's record from earlier this year of 119 like get the dude in the league he's clearly must watch tv and I I really want to watch him so you know listen to me yeah, the night after he hit a ball at 115 miles per hour, he's just tearing up AAA pitching. He needs to be up as soon as possible. The Pirates need him up there. And it would just I can't wait to see the young talent that the Pirates have in the MLB between Cabrian Hayes, O'Neill Cruz. It's just going to be a team that's going to be fun watching grow. For sure. And also – I mean, the the Pirates just lost a series to the Reds. So, like, bring up O'Neill Cruz. Maybe that'll help. Obviously, you can't say one guy's going to fix it. But they they need to fix something. Because the Reds have at least started the season awfully. And then they won two consecutive series against divisional opponents. So maybe it's not as bad as we all thought it was. But still, losing that series for the Pirates is just... It's got to be gut-wrenching as a fan and really probably as a player too. Yeah, definitely got to shake things up, either make a trade. I know it's so early in the year, but if you want really want to at least minimum compete for a wild card spot, which I don't know if the Pirates are really trying to do, or, but you got to at least put fans in the seats. So I got to shake things up and bring up O'Neill Cruz. Why, like, why not? And going from one totally unrelated topic to another, we have our favorite psychopath in baseball that isn't named Chris Lowe, Max Scherzer. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that he does. I mean, he's only gotten ejected. I found this out twice in his career and both were in games that he wasn't, he wasn't playing. But the other day he, uh, in the, the beautiful Mets black jerseys, by the way, have to always shout those out whenever you can. He, not only on Little League Day when all of the New York Little Leaguers were running around on the on the warning track pregame, he, he obviously had to do his warm-up. So he did it in the middle of the group of like seven-year-olds and parents. He also beat the guy that was supposed to throw the first pitch to the mound to start his warm-ups, and they just pulled the guy off the mound. The man's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm all for getting your warm-ups in and all that and making sure the game starts on time, but you got to let the guy throw out the first pitch. He's probably had this plan since December or something close to it, and he's probably been looking forward to it for months, and 
all she knows, you get out there and Max Scherzer's just hucking 90, and you know you don't have a chance the second he touches the mound. So. Yeah, and that's not somebody that I would be like, hey, excuse me, I was supposed to do that because, uh, as I've mentioned, he's a psychopath. He's a crazy dude. Yeah, it was something really funny. I like, I just like the clip of the guy going up to the mound and Max Scherzer continues to throw, and then he just runs away. He did not care. The funniest part was seeing the, I'm assuming it was a Mets official, running towards the, the foul line and just motioning for the guy that was supposed to throw the first pitch off of the field because they were just like, I, we didn't plan for this. Yeah, no, something completely funny. And another pitcher-related thing, Shohei Otani hit his 100th career homer. He is the second player in MLB history with 100 home runs and 250 strikeouts while pitching, with only the only other person being, of course, Babe Ruth. Yeah, but did either of them uh, go one for one from the left side and hit a home run? No, that's Anthony Rendon. And obviously, Otani, it, it's unreal. I, it, I saw a tweet the other day that was saying something like, Otani will be getting talked about on broadcast about being maybe better than Babe Ruth. And then he's in the dugout, like doing whatever tomfoolery he does because he's always doing something weird in the dugout, just acting like a kid on at a, at a playground. And they're talking about him being maybe the best player of all time. And it's just really funny. And obviously the stats back it up a hundred home runs is, unreal he's only been in the league for a few years so 100 home runs crazy 250 250 strikeouts as a pitcher he probably did that like two months ago nobody really cared because he's probably gonna end his career with like a billion k's but speaking of angels pitching also got to give a quick shout out to reed detmers who threw the strikeout through the strikeout wow through a no hitter with the second least strikeouts in a no hitter of all time just pure dominance on the mound, for, especially from a rookie. And I feel bad for him a little bit because everybody's talking about that Rendon home run rather than the, the no-hitter. But just to, had to give him his, his due time because a no-hitter is a no-hitter no matter how you get it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Angels pitching is finally looking like it's coming around. Um, they're tied for first in their division with the Astros. And they look like they're actually ready to contend for a playoff spot. It's, it's, it's about time. And I don't think that it really came as much as, as much of a surprise. I think that a lot of people were really expecting for eventually the, the angels to break out in a big way, but that is just, it's nice to see them actually like really competing, being top of the division in a very, what everybody kind of viewed as a wide open division this year. They weren't sure if the Astros were going to be as dominant and I mean, obviously like Verlander coming back is huge for them, but nobody expected him to come back into Cy Young type form straight off Tommy John, Correa leaving, the Mariners beefing up, the Rangers beefing up, but not really as much as everybody was making it seem. They spent $500 million on two guys, but there's just a lot of surprises out there in the West, which is what we're here to talk about really. So Matt, I've talked about some surprises for me. What for you has been the most surprising really team out there this year? I for me, the most surprising team has been in the wild wild west, but not in the AL. 
It's both the Colorado Rockies and Arizona Diamondbacks. Both are teams above 500 right now, meaning that the whole division is above 500. And it's just something crazy to look at when you're like looking at the stats. Um, like Arizona's 18 and 16, Colorado's 17 and 16. And they're just two teams that you didn't expect to do too much. I mean, uh, the Diamondbacks have had like some like good playing from a bunch of their players. Like Keitel Marte's been a star for them for a little bit. But they've had a lot of role players that have stepped up this year in Pavin Smith, David Peralta, even Dalton Varshaw. Like, it's just – and then some of their pitching that they've had has been really good this year as well, which is something we haven't seen from them in a while with Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen. Even, even Mas- Bumgarner. Yeah, Bumgarner's having a little bit of a resurgence over there. So it's they've been surprising me along with, like I said, the Colorado Rockies, who is a team that – we, I didn't expect them to do anything, and here we are with C.J. Crone hitting insanely well. Iglesias is hitting three thirteen. You got Jonathan Daza, who's been like just raking, and then you still got Connor Joe, Randall Grichik, and uh, Chris Bryant still there, and then they're pitching as well. Like their starters haven't been as good. The really only amazing starters been Chad Cool, but Daniel Bardell, the bullpen has been really good for them. Their bullpen's been really good, um, and it's probably saved them a few games. For sure, I was I was thinking of the wild, wild west this whole time because it just doesn't make any sense. We expected the Rockies and the Diamondbacks to be awful. I remember in our episode of the uh, for the New Year's resolutions, we kind of dug in on those two teams as teams that were like just you I remember you said the Diamondbacks just need to get younger because they're not going to compete with this old team of role players but they're proving us all wrong um really for me I think that the Rockies are the most surprising team but I'm not going to steal your answer and I'm going to say that the most surprising team has got to be the Angels I'm gonna go right back to it but more more specifically there's one player on that team that has surprised me the most and it's Taylor Ward. He's been so, so good. He's damn near the best player in baseball right now behind Mike Trout, who is obviously the best player in baseball. He's slugging better than every other team's OPS, which is unreal. But back to Taylor Ward, he's been raking. He's hitting over 300. He's He just hit a grand slam the other night. And it's just nice to see other players on that Angels roster finally stepping up around the stars. I think that we all kind of expected when Pujol signed over there for him to be a guy that can take away from all of the focus on Mike Trout, but that never really happened. Pujols was clearly on the decline. Rendon coming in was supposed to do that, but he hasn't been the same as his national self. But it's nice that even Rendon, who isn't hitting great, but for him and David Fletcher last year, obviously not this year because he's injured, and Jared Walsh, all of those guys are finally starting to to really mesh as a team, and the pitching's been good enough for them to win. So that's really been the biggest surprise to me. Keep going, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I wanted to say another team I thought you were going to go with, but you didn't, and I just wanted to shout them out, is the Minnesota Twins. I know a big part of that has been Byron Buxton staying healthy so far. Ten home runs and already the 22 games he's played, he's been a star. But they've they've already faced some injury adversary. 
Uh, Carlos Correa is on the IL. Miguel Sano is on the IL. Um, Royce Lewis had to get called up. And then even in their pitching, I mean, Dylan Bundy, Chris Paddock, and o- uh, Bailey Ober are already on the IL as well. They've really had some guys step up between just like I know Joe Ryan's been doing pretty well this year as a rookie. Chris Archer's been doing good. Sonny Gray's been doing all right. Like they've had really had some guys step up for them. Yeah, they've had a lot of guys step up, but I didn't go with them because I think that the Twins just kind of caught some some lightning in a bottle. I don't really think they'll be able to keep it up because if you look at the games that they've won and the versus the games that they've lost, it's been a lot of offensive explosion for wins. And I think that part of that obviously is Buxton. And it's surprising for sure, given their, their injury issues this season. But I think that the pitching is just kind of pitching a little out of their league right now. I think, I don't think Chris Archer is going to keep up this pace. I don't know if Bundy coming is going to come back and do well. Obviously I, I'm very confident in Sonny Gray. I think that's a really important part for them, but it's just, I don't know if they'll be able to keep it up outside of their division. I think that they could easily come second in the division because I don't think it's a very good one, but it's just interesting to see how hot they're going to start. And I will definitely be watching to see how cold I think they'll probably finish the season. And speaking of a cold finish, let's talk about cold starts. Who for you, Matt, has been the most disappointing team and player? And I think I already know your answer. Uh, well, easily the most disappointing team for me has been my Boston Red Sox. We are below, we're dead last in the division. Not dead last, we're only a half game behind the Orioles, but that's dead last. Much, that's, that's dead last. That's dead last. Um, it's just, they've really shot themselves in the foot this year. They didn't really acquire any pitching depth when, um, Chris Sale was got hurt and they knew James Paxson was going to come back till halfway through the year. And then Michael Walker got hurt. Tanner Houck was out for a few starts because of his vaccination status. So it's just kind of been like a rotating starting rotation. We've had our closer and Garrett Whitlock make, we've had him start four games and he's been doing really well, but taking out Whitlock has also made our bullpen not good. We don't have a guy to save the game. We don't really have a closer, so to say. So, I mean, there's definitely some, upside in the future where once we get Paxton and Sale and Waka back that Whitlock could possibly slot back into that closer role and we could not have nine blown saves to start the year but we also need to get our offense going I mean only Devers Bogarts have been really the only ones that have been hitting so Sox are back they won a series it's hard to believe but they did it um I I agree that it's been really disappointing. I'm I like as an O's fan, I'm obviously happy that we're not last in the division right now, but I don't know how long that'll last, especially because we have the Rays and the Yankees coming up this week. But the the Red Sox has just been, I think everybody was very high on them coming into the season, especially with the Story Edition, but he's been, you know, bad. Yeah. Um, and for my uh, mis- most disappointing player. I'm going to have to go with the former MVP and Jose Abreu. Um, the White Sox have struggled to start the season. And I think he's not part of the issue, but him not producing as well as he usually does. He's batting 203 with only three homers. Um, he's 
got five doubles, just not a lot of extra base hits and just not really contributing to an offense as a three hitter, which they don't really need him to be a big contributor, but they need him to at least be doing something batting third. Yeah, I think they're expecting a little more from him. And I, I, I think it'll come. I think that the shortened the shortened um, spring training, sorry, has been a pain for them. I, and for most teams, really, I don't think anybody's really getting off to as hot a start as they could. Also, there's the whole controversy over if the baseballs are changing and if we're entering a dead ball era. But again, I think it's really besides the point. The White Sox have been struggling like you said and obviously not totally on him but you got to think that their veteran leader the former mvp he's got to be doing a little better for me though i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with uh with the with the al east for my most disappointing player uh and he plays second base actually in the the al east and it's not trevor story wow it's marcus simeon I, obviously he wasn't in the, he's not in the AL East anymore, but I still think of him as a blue Jay. He signed with the Rangers for whatever portion of the half a billion dollars that he was worth with Corey Seager, but they've been bad. The Rangers have been, but I wasn't, I was expecting them to not be great, but not this bad as they've been there well below 500 but most of that is not on Simeon but he's hitting 154 he has 19 hits in over 120 at bats not a single home run he only has eight RBIs his war is negative right now and he was a guy that they brought in to maybe compete for an MVP for them and he's done literally nothing and I think that's really been the most disappointing thing especially considering the money that they gave him but another guy that I want a quick shout out uh, as a low light is Brandon Woodruff I just saw his stats this morning on quick pitch and he is he has an ERA of almost six right now and he was a guy in Cy Young conversations this year it's just been abysmal for him really and Obviously, you can make the argument that the shortened spring training didn't give him enough time to get ready. But if that's the case, he should be getting hot soon. And I don't really see that happening. And I think that 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 Woodruff's downfall isn't a huge issue really for the Brewers because obviously they have Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns is still Corbin Burns. He's still pitching amazing. But I just had to a quick shout out for, for, for Brandon Woodruff being awful so far this season yeah go ahead oh i just wanted to continue with that and the brewers are one of those teams that they're gonna have to pitch to win i mean brendan woodruff has like you said a six era and he's easily the last the highest era in that rotation and you got burns with a one seven uh lauer has a two six hauser has a three eight even freddie peralta's as high this year with a four four I mean, and even their bullpen's insane. So, like, they're a team that's going to have to pitch to win. And if you don't have that pitching, I mean, they don't have the, they don't have enough bats to keep up with offensive teams. No, I don't think they do. Uh, and then going from my most disappointing player to my most disappointing team, I'm going to have to say at, at this point in the season that it is Simeon's former team, the Blue Jays. 
I, they started off really hot and they have fizzled out aggressively quickly. Obviously I think they'll be able to turn it on, but it's just been, they, they were originally my pick to win the division, but they have just not been able to do it other than Gosman and Jordan Romano normally at the back end of that bullpen, their pitching hasn't been what we kind of all expected it to. Uh, and Alec Manoa, he's pitching his butt off right now. He's got like a one five ERA, but it just seems like they haven't really been able to, to pitch to win. And they haven't really been able to hit to win either. They've just been in a weird limbo where they'll get into a, a slug fest of a game and their pitching won't give them the opportunity to win or they've been getting into pitching duels where their offense hasn't been able to score them runs to win. And obviously they're still fighting for the division and they have a winning record. They're number two in the division right now, but I just think it's been a disappointing, not start to the season because they started so well, but continuation of that start. So that's why they're my most disappointing team, at least thus far. For sure. And like I, like you said, I had them as, um, I picked one the East to start off the year as well. So, and jumping right into that, let's do a prediction, shall we? Of course we should. We're a month plus into the season after the delayed start due to all of the lockout shenanigans that we talked out, talked about extensively because it's all we could talk about on the podcast for a while. But let's just go division by division and start let's start with our favorite the AL East the toughest division in probably any sport Matt who what what's what's your what's your prediction looking like so I had the Blue Jays like I said winning the AL East and the rest were I thought I think the Yankees Red Sox and Rays would have all been within two three games of each other but I ended up with the Yankees in second the Red Sox in third and the Rays in fourth oh um, Ice and the Orioles, they're they're down there. Um, yep. But I still I still think that it could end up close to that. The Yankees have been doing really good. Um, they passed the Blue Jays, I believe, for first place. They may be the first. They were the first team to twenty wins, I think, too. Yep. Um, I still think the Red Sox could turn it around midseason, like and end up in third if Chris Sale comes back and and James Paxton comes back and just shoves. Um, and the Rays are like one of those teams that's weird. They have, they have a few good bats. They have Wander and Rosarena, and they always have their. They have like pitching that like, I feel like their top prospects for pitching really don't do much, but the guys you've never heard of are really insane. So like Moneyball, it's just one of those things that you just can never tell how they're gonna do. Yeah, I have something very different actually from you. I was I, I did my beginning of the year predictions before the season started, but I did alter them just about a week ago to, to fit the current climate. And so my AL East is the Yankees winning the East and being the one seed in the playoffs, actually. And then the Blue Jays and the Rays with the Sox and the O's at the bottom for very similar reasons. I think that the Rays will find a way to win somehow. And I think that the Blue Jays will turn it around and just mash. But I think the Yankees are just going to keep it up. I, I hate to say it because I dislike the Yankees so aggressively. But they're, they're, they're a good team. They're a really good baseball team. <laughs> so 
I don't want to talk about it anymore, but I think they're going to win the division. <laughs> and into the AL Central, I have atop the division. I think it's pretty obvious, and I'm going to assume you have a very similar list to me. I think the White Sox are going to win it. I don't think they're going to stay as like average as they've been this year. I think they're eventually going to turn it on. They've got pitching in Giolito and Lynn and Cease, and the back end of their bullpen will pick it up. I think that Liam Hendricks has just been having a really tough time this year. I know he's been going through a lot of personal stuff to start this season. So I think that eventually he'll tune it in and be, be Liam Hendricks in second in the central. I think it's going to be the twins. I don't think they'll keep up the hot pace that they started the season with, but I think they will finish second and maybe fight for that last wild card spot. But I don't really know if that's in their future. And then third, I have the guardians. I think that Jose Ramirez single-handedly can keep that team relevant. And Stephen Kwan has been Stephen Kwan sending everybody to the Kwan Academy. Then the Tigers, I originally had at fourth, but I think the Royals, I think the Royals finished fourth this time. And I think the Tigers are just, they're just abysmal. I, I think we kind of expected a little more when they added Meadows and Baez and Erod to the rotation but it's just not going to, it's not going to work for the Tigers this year. Miggy got his 3000 hits and now they don't really care anymore. <laughs> yeah. I had a r- roughly similar central. I had the white Sox on top with the twins in second. I assumed, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I had to assume for the predictions that Byron Buxton is going to stay healthy all year. Um, I assumed that like Joe Ryan was going to shove and that their pitching would stay healthy. And they added Carlos Correa to that lineup too. It's a lineup that's always been feast or famine. So I had them at second because they had the highest upside. Um, and then three, four, five, it's just kind of like a toss-up, I think. I put the Royals in third just because I feel like they're a young team that has a decent bats and, like, good enough pitching to win some games, like Bobby Witt. They still have Mondesi. They have Whit Merrifield, Salvador Perez, Andrew Benintendi. Like, they've got a good lineup. And I feel like if they put the pieces together, they could win games. Um, and the Guardians I had in fourth, they have the pitching with, I know they haven't actually had insane pitching between Tristan McKenzie, Cal Quantrill, Shane Bieber, and I feel like Jose Ramirez, Bobby Bradley's been doing okay there. Um, they've got a few young middle infielders and Ahmed Rosario and um, who's the second baseman? Jimenez, Andres Jimenez. And I thought that, that that could help them. And then the Tigers... I feel like they added, but not enough. I feel like next year is going to be next off season is going to be off season where they're going to have to spend. Um, they just they added Erod, but he's really a two three pitcher um, with high upside. Baez, I didn't think was enough. He's a big feast or famine hitter again. Same with Austin Meadows, and I just couldn't see them doing too too much in that division. Yeah, and it's it's definitely a lower tier division. I don't think that any of those teams other than the White Sox really have any sort of shot at making the playoffs, much less winning in the playoffs. But speaking of teams that I think are going to fight and fight for their lives for some playoff spots, we head over to the wild, wild West of the AL. Atop the division, I still think that Astros are going to win. I don't, I don't know if the Angels will be able to keep up the torrent pace that they've started with. I think it'll be close, though, so I wouldn't be surprised if the Angels won. 
I have the Angels finishing in second, and then the Mariners finishing right behind them. And I think the Mariners will be in the playoff hunt. I don't think that their start, their their poorer start to the season is really going to affect them that much. But I think they'll the they'll eventually find a way to start fighting. At fourth, I have the Rangers. They have a good enough offense to maybe keep them relevant for a few all-star slots, maybe. And then the A's at the bottom. I I the A's have very little that interests me. They got rid of every good player. It seems like they had Sean Manai has been unreal outside in San Diego. Matt Chapman's been, you know, meh. But his defense is so important. And Olsen gone. It just doesn't really seem like the A's have a ton going for them. And I feel like they want to lose. So I feel like they're going to eventually start to lose to get a better draft pick and to be able to move from Oakland sooner rather than later. Yeah, I had a similar – I actually had the Angels winning it. I thought going out and signing some guard and Lorenzen and – Thought that was definitely going to help boost their rotation. Their offense was already pretty good. Rendon, I thought, would turn it around at least a little bit after a disappointing 2021. Um, so I had them on top of the division with the Astros in second with not knowing how um, Pena was going to do at shortstop and just other factors like like Justin Verlander and Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia keeping that um, playoff magic alive and – just their team in general with bats. I know they have Alvarez and Tucker, but Gary L is getting up there in age. Bregman's been – Bregman and Altuve, I feel like, have been meh since 2019. Like, they've been good enough, but they haven't really been the stars they used to be. Um, third, I had the Mariners as well. I don't know if I have them competing for a playoff spot as much as you do. I still think that – Either the AL East or even the Twins have a better chance at making the playoffs than them, especially after losing like their heart and soul in Kyle Seeger. Um, I also had the Rangers in fourth and the Athletics in fifth. Both teams I don't see doing much this year, but like you said, the Rangers have a little bit more star power and upside, so I could see them clinching a fourth spot as the A's fall off in the dog days of summer. Yeah, and it was something you mentioned that I just wanted to to go back to. Yuli Gurriel being up there in age is something that I don't think anybody really realizes. He's 37, turning 38 during this season. I sometimes forget how old he is. He's one of those guys where you like see the age and you're like, wait, and you just got to backtrack and look at it again because it seems like he's been in the league for like four years. But and I mean, he hasn't really been in the league for all that long. I think that his debut was in 2016 at the age of 32, but it's just funny to think about how old he actually is. And, but, you know, besides the point, really, I think he's still a really good baseball player. So going from league to league, we're jumping into our NL now in the East. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stir some feathers here. And I know that I'm mixing up some, some common phrases. It's stir the pot and ruffle some feathers, but I'm going to stir some feathers here. I think the Braves are still going to win it. I think they'll still win the division. I think the Mets are really, really, really good. But I think that once the Braves actually get into season form, Acuna has been up for like two weeks 
and he's already made a difference in that offense. I think Matt Olson will eventually like really turn it on for a couple of months. I think Soroka coming back from injury at some point during this season is going to be huge for them. Max Freed, really good. That Kyle Wright fella, really good. Love him. Great for my fantasy team. And I just think that like with Albies and Swanson and all of the pieces that they have there, I think they're going to come back and win the division. With that being said, the Mets will finish second in the division and definitely get a wild card spot. And then I, I, there's not really much to say there. They're going to fight for the division, but I don't think they're going to win it. They're the Mets. Um, in third, I have the Phillies. Quick shout out to Bryce Harper for making the universal DH a really important rule because he's only DHing because of his partially torn UCL and he's still hitting bombs. But I think they're just better than the other two teams in the division. I think that the Marlins will finish in fourth. I think they're really good, really young. Jazz Chisholm is fighting his way into an MVP conversation this year. Then you have the Nationals. They have they have Josh Bell and they have Juan Soto. That is all I can really say about the Nationals. They're not going to do anything this year. And I think they're going to finish in the bottom of that division by like a long shot. I think it'll be probably like seven or eight games behind the Marlins. Yeah, so I have the exact same order with the Braves, Mets, Phillies, Marlins, Nationals, but I think I'm a little more optimistic on the NL East than you. I think the Braves could have a 100-plus win season. I think the Mets will be right around there, like 98-97. And then the Phillies and Marlins, I think, could have 91 seasons. I've been saying it about the Phillies, it's not as surprising because of their insane lineup. But the Marlins, I've been saying it since for a while now, and I think that their pitching could really carry them, much like the Brewers have in the past. Just their insane young rotation, and they have a pretty good bullpen as well. I could see them fighting for a playoff spot and getting in the playoffs. They did in 2020, I believe, when there's a huge expanded playoffs. So I could see them sneaking in again. I That's also if the ALS doesn't completely – blow the world I mean, NL, yeah nls sorry nls doesn't completely blow the world up like they've been doing but i could see the marlins rotation fighting for a spot with some of the bats that like for teams that like didn't really want some of the bats that they have they just like picked them up like jesus aguilar or miguel rojas and just they have players like brian anderson jacob stallings like players that can make a difference on that in that lineup and i feel like that with jazz chisholm and i feel like they could really do something in the NL East this year. Yeah, well, I, I I don't disagree with the upside potential, but I just don't really think that they're going to do – I don't know about 90 wins. I think they could finish around 500. But, I mean, I'm just looking at their last 10 games. They, they've they lost seven, and they're just they, – they've been playing pretty bang average ball. I mean, they're 15 and 18 right now. They're seven and eight at home, eight and, and 10 on the road. It's just like, the, I think they'll be good. And I think they'll be really good next year, but I don't think that this year is the year for them to make any sort of run. I think that free agency next year for them will definitely be big. I think they'll bring in some big names to help, but I, I 90 wins seems a little, seems a little crazy, at least to me, but I, I respect, I respect the bold take. I always love a bold take jumping into the the division of well it has the reds so they're finishing last 
I think that's pretty, I feel like we all kind of expect that to happen at this point, even though they've been decent the past week, I still think they're finishing last. They lost pretty much every big name on their team. Eugenio Suarez gone, Jesse Winker gone, Nick Castellanos gone, Sonny Gray gone. It's just that they have very little going for them. I don't, what, what's up with Nick Senzel? I haven't heard his name in like a year and a half. Jesus, I forgot he's alive. Um, but other than that, going back to the top of the, of the division, I think the Cardinals maintain and I think they win. I think that their, their style of play reminds me very strongly of that mid-2010s Royals team. They have a few guys with a lot of pop like O'Neill and Arenado. I think Arenado is going to continue his torrent pace. He might even win MVP, but good pitching and a lot of speed on that team, which is what I really like about them. I love Harrison Bader. He's been one of my favorite players to watch for three, four years now. And I think that that team combined, especially with Arenado's MVP like season, it's going to be easy money for them to win the division in Pujols, Wainwright and Yachty's last year. I think second's going to be the Brewers, and I don't really think there's much debate about that. I think they've got good enough pitching to carry their mediocre offense to the playoffs. I think that the Cubs finish in third. I think they're going to have a disappointing season considering the moves that they were trying to make in the postseason, uh, in the offseason, excuse me. I think Seiya Suzuki is still going to be really good, but other than that, it just seems like they're going to be mediocre. And then the Pirates in fourth, obviously, with the Reds finishing in last. We've talked about the Pirates a lot today. It's just going to be – it's not this year for them to make any sort of attack at the playoffs. Yeah, I'm going to go top to bottom of this division, kind of like similar to talking – someone start talking about the Reds because I'm looking into them right now. They don't seem to have like that terrible of a lineup. They have Joey Votto, Mike Rusakis, Tommy Pham, Nixon Zell, Tyler Naquin. Colin Moran's been doing – oh, I know he had a good week. And Jonathan India's still there. I feel like it's just their pitching that really isn't that good, and that's what's holding them back. I have them in fifth. Uh, I do want to say you mentioned Votto. Ever since he got on a TikTok, he's been awful. He's one of the he's, – he was one of the guys that I was debating talking about as my most disappointing player because his – his average and his on-base percentage are like 125 or something like that. And that is, I mean, I don't really think I need to explain it. That's piss poor. Yeah, I can't I – want, I want to see what they do at the deadline because there's definitely players like Tyler Stevenson or Tommy Pham, even Mike Moustakis, Tyler Naquin that they could get good prospects for. Um, and then I have the Pittsburgh Pirates in fourth. Like I said, I'm excited to see what Cabrian and O'Neill Cruz can do on that left side of the infield. And Brian Reynolds in center, I think they have a decent enough team to be a fourth-place team. I don't think they're going to do much. I have the Cubs in third. I don't think they'll do much either. I know they had Stroman, but he hasn't been doing too well. Um, Say has been okay, but I still don't think they have the stars. The stars too. They have the role players, but they don't have the stars to put up a playoff run. Um, I also had the Brewers in second. I think that they have the best pitching staff in the league, but I really need to see a repeat season out of Hunter Renfro for the Brewers. I need to see Christian Yelich go back to his MVP form. I 
like I know they have a few like players that like could break out at any moment. Like William Adams has been really good there at shortstop. I think um I believe it's Arcia. I forget who it is. Maybe Orlando Arcia. Maybe I'll think. I'll I'll figure it out. But he's I think he's who could be really good. Oh, Luis Urias. I don't know why I thought Orlando Arcia. Yeah, that's what I thought you were talking about. Luis Urias. He's someone I think could be really good for them. Um, he's young and I think he could break out. Colton Wong is a good player. Rowdy Telez will hit you bombs. Um, but like I need to see some of these players have repeat seasons before I'm completely sold. But their pitching is insane. Um, I think. Burns, Peralta are the real deal. Woodruff is really good, but I need to see him turn it around. Lauer and Hauser are really good. And Devin Williams is one of my favorite pitchers in the MLB. But someone I had to, like, bring up, and I've been looking at these tweets since the episode started and before, is Josh Hader. He is, like, one of the best pitchers in the MLB. He got to 500 strikeouts on May 10th. And he did it in 293 innings, and only a road of Chapman was faster. Yep. He's he's really good at baseball. I don't think people talk about it enough because there was the whole, you know, controversy over his Twitter a few years ago. And it, look, he's not the greatest guy, but oh my God, is he a good baseball player? He is really good at pitching. So good, in fact, that he hasn't he's made 33 consecutive scoreless appearances with 31.2 innings pitched. He has not let up a run since July 28th of 2021. He's almost we're two months away from him being at a year of not letting up a, a run. Which is conceivable because he's that good. He is, I think, the best closer in the MLB on a team the- that needs that needs him to be there. I think he might be one of the best, one of, if not the best pitcher in the league right now, that it's, it's just incredible to see a run of that long. Obviously he's a relief pitcher. So when you see that he's made however many consecutive innings without giving up a run, it's not as impressive as like the starting pitcher doing it for the same amount of time, but still you got to give the relievers their due and even when Devin Williams hasn't been shut down this year, it as long as he gets to the ninth with a lead, the Brewers won. And yes, for sure. And as they have the best pitching, I think that the Cardinals could be a close second. Jordan Hicks has started a few games this year and has been okay. Steven Matz is, could turn around. Wayne Wright's on the IL right now, but he's been decent. Dakota Hudson, Miles Mikolas. Have been really good. I can't wait till they add Jack. Yeah, I can't wait till they add Jack Flaherty back. And then their bullpen's pretty insane. With Gallegos closing it, Genesis Cabrera has been good. Andre Palante has been really good. Like, I know they have like a few guys that like they just sent down Packy Naughton. Um, he's been a guy that's been pretty good for them out for five appearances. He is a three five ERA out of the bullpen. He's a and they have like a bunch of young pitchers, like 25, 26, that they could call up and throw in that bullpen at any time and they'd suffice. For sure. And so going into our last division, the actual wild west of the NL, um, I think that it's gonna finish exactly how it is right now. 
I think the Dodgers win. I don't really think there's much competition for the Dodgers being the most talented roster in baseball. They're pitching phenomenal. Their bullpen phenomenal. Their lineup phenomenal. And I think they're going to be the one seed in the West. I think that the Padres come in second. I think the Giants finish third. I think that the Diamondbacks and the Rockies, I don't know if they'll keep up this unreal everybody at 500 or better pace, but I think that the, I think the Diamondbacks will surprise some people by continuing this. And I mean, with Zach Allen, like we mentioned earlier, being a legitimate ace this year, it's definitely a possibility that they even compete for playoff spots. And then the Rockies finishing last. I don't really think there was much competition for that at the beginning of the year. And I don't think there will be, I think they'll fall off before any of the other teams do. Um, but you know, I'm always open for some, some shenanigans at the end of the year. I'd love to see the Padres win the, win the title in the NL West and get the one seed in the playoffs. But I honestly think that there could be two, even three teams winning a hundred plus games in that division this year, which would be really fun to see come playoff time. But I don't really think there's going to be a lot of change in how the standings look now compared to the end of the year. Yeah, I have a similar I, – I go Dodgers, Padres, Giants in that order. I think that the Dodgers and Padres have star power that can't be matched by the Giants, even though the Giants have a good team and good coaching. But I have the Rockies and Diamondbacks flipped. I have the Rockies in fourth and Diamondbacks in fifth. I think the Rockies just have Coors Field, which is going to help them, especially with C.J. Crone and Chris Bryan. And if – good power bats with McMahon, and I think that they could hit their way into a few wins out in Coors Field, and that's what I completely saw. Um, I feel like that's what they've been doing, too. Um, Jose Iglesias has always been a slap hitter, so just getting somebody on base for C.J. Crone and McMahon's just hit bombs. Randall Gritchick they added. He's a He was a power hitter in Toronto, and they expected him to do the same in Colorado, and I could see them stepping up a tiny bit and being closer to 500 than people expect. Yeah, I, not out of the realm of possibility. But now we've done the regular season. It's postseason time. Matt, in September, what are the teams that you have making it to the playoffs for the AL and the NL? For my AL, my division winners, like we said, is the Jays, White Sox, and Angels. And I forget exactly how the expanded playoffs work. Six teams now per per league. So I have the Yankees, Red Sox, and Twins making the playoffs. Interesting. So mine, obviously, we have different division winners in the East and the West in the Yankees and Astros winning for me. I think the White Sox get in there too. And then I think the Blue Jays, the Rays, and the Angels are going to be my wild card teams. And then in the NL, obviously the division winners, Braves, Cardinals, Dodgers, which I think we both agreed on. Yep. Then I have one team from each division. I have the Mets, Brewers, and Padres making the playoffs. I think for the NL, I'm going to go Brewers, Padres, Giants. I definitely reasonable. I think that the Giants will be in it till the last moment. I also think the Phillies could make that shot. And, you know, there's the whole playoff bracket, whatever, but I don't really care about that. World Series time. It's late October, early November. What's your World Series, Matt, and who you got winning it? So I have two of my division winners going to the World Series. It's the two people that I think are going to be 
the one seed in each side, and it's the Jays and the Braves. Um, and I'm all here for a repeat champion. I think the Braves adding back Ronda Cooney Jr., Mike Soroka, um, even Marcelo Zuna, just the, to their lineup and to their rotation. They got Kenley Jansen in the back end of their bullpen. I think they, they're stocked up to win another World Series. I am actually shocked by this because we have very similar World Series. I originally did have Blue Jays versus Braves, but I changed it last minute because I have so much faith in Joe Madden and the Angels. I think they're going to make it to the World Series against the Braves, but I think the Braves are going to repeat. I have Atlanta in six. Like you said, they're stocked up for a post for a postseason run, and they have a pedigree of winning in the playoffs now. And I think with Acuna in that lineup for the playoffs is going to just be the icing on the cake, the cherry on top. I have Atlanta in six. Yeah, for sure. I think Atlanta is going to do really well in the postseason again. I think it's it's set in stone. Obviously, I could be wrong, but I am very high on the Braves right now, and I will be the entire year. But now it's the end of November, and we're getting into the awards, Matt. The awards for the AL and the NL. We've got MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, and I also have my World Series MVP at the bottom of this list. But who do you have winning all of the awards? So for the AL, I'll start there. It's one person that I've – I every year I pick him to win MVP pretty much, and every year he – Gets close, but doesn't quite get there. But I think even this year, he started off really hot, and it's Jose Ramirez. He's can steal bags, hit home runs, hit for average. He can field. He can play multiple positions. I just have him as an MVP candidate every year. Um, for my Cy Young, a little bit of a sleeper pick. I loved him last year. I thought he was going to win Rookie of the Year, and I think he finished nowhere close to the top. So I could see him not getting – quite the respect he deserves, but I have Alec Manoa winning the Cy Young. I think he's a guy that not only can he go deep in games, but he also limits damage really well between not giving up runs. And I think him being on one of the top, being on a top team in the AL could definitely help his case. For rookie of the year, I have Jeremy Pena. I thought, like I like I said, I think he, I think he's going to be good. I don't know how, if he'll be able to outslug Bobby Witt Jr. Um, but I still think that his fielding's a little bit above Bobby Wood Jr. And he's playing, like I said, on a top-tier team, which is definitely going to help his case. And for manager of the year, I have Joe Madden. I think that him leading the Angels back up to the top is definitely going to help him. Yeah, so our lists at the bottom, the rookie of the year and the manager of the year, exactly the same. I have Jeremy Pena and Joe Madden. I think that obviously Joe Madden wins my manager of the year, considering in my <laughs> In my picks, the Angels are in the World Series. Uh, So I feel like that's pretty obvious. I think Jeremy Pena, he started off really hot, and I think he's just going to be really good. It's a stacked lineup for the Astros. So I think that he'll he'll still see throughout the year pretty attack-heavy pitching. I think they're going to come at him rather than face Bregman and Jordan Alvarez. So I think that'll help him. But for my Cy Young... I do have a pitcher in the AL East, more specifically on the Blue Jays. 
but I think that it's not going to be Alec Manoa. I think it's going to be the former Oriole because every former Oriole pitcher leaves and gets so much better. I think Gosman wins it. I think that there's going to be a streak in July and August where he just doesn't give up runs. I think I wouldn't be surprised if he throws a no hitter at some point this year, because I think he is that good. And in that deep summer, I think he's just going to find a new gear and it's going to really propel him towards the Cy Young. And then the MVP, I don't really need to say anything. It's going to be Mike Trout. I love Jose Ramirez. I think he should have won a couple of years ago, but Mike Trout's the MVP. He, he should win it every year just for being Mike Trout. But I, I think it's going to be, I think he might win unanimously this year. I really would not be surprised if he finished this, the year hitting 350 with 50 bombs and 130 RBIs in that lineup. So we've got AL now to the NL. I think that there's going to be, for my manager of the year, I think it's going to be both of the World Series managers. I think Snicker wins it. I think that Rookie of the Year is going to be crowded. I think Mackenzie Gore might turn it on. And he was my pick last year to win, but he never came up. So, you know, but I think Seiya Suzuki is going to win it. I think that he's going to have a similar trajectory to Otani when he won. I think he's going to start off the year really hot like he did slow down at this point in the season and then just turn in another gear near the end of the year and win the rookie of the year. I think the Cy Young is another guy on a new team. He was my pick to win AL Cy Young last year, but now he's my pick to win NL Cy Young. It's Carlos Rodon also on my fantasy team. I think that, (laughs) I think that the three best pitchers on my fantasy team are going to finish one, two, and three in Cy Young voting in Rodon Scherzer and Walker Bueller but I think Rodon takes it. And then for my MVP, it's a guy who shouldn't win it if the season ended today, that's for sure. But I think he's going to turn it around big time in the, the depths of summer. And I think Trey Turner finds that next gear. And I think he wins the MVP this year for a Dodgers team that probably wins 110 games. Believe it or not, we have a completely different list for the NL. Really? So... I'll start off with my manager of the year. I think it's the biggest loss the Oakland Athletics suffered in the offseason, and it's Bob Melvin. I think he helps the Padres get through injury issues between their starting pitching and just helps them manage a bullpen that can be iffy at times between their starting rotation being okay. But I think he's really going to manage them into the second place of the NLS and potentially even a first place spot in the NL West. My rookie of the year, um, a guy I'm really high on, even though I just look to see how he's doing because he's not even in the majors yet and he's been struggling. Um, but I had Edward Cabrera of the Miami Marlins winning rookie of the year. He is in A ball right now. I didn't realize he went that low, but he has a zero ERA in A ball right now in four innings pitched. So I could see him coming up mid-year, even in June, just in lighting up the MLB, I think, especially if he gets some starts against like teams like the Nationals or like the Cubs or the Pirates or the Reds, I think he could really surprise some people. My Cy Young, not any of the people you mentioned to be in your top three. Really? I talked about him earlier. I think Josh Hader is going to be the Cy Young. I think he sets an insane record for saves. I think he has an insane ERA. And I 
he partly brings this Brewers team to the playoffs. Okay. I like the bold pick. And, well, if you like bold picks, you're going to like my MVP for the NL. Okay. It's, a guy, it's a guy that really struggled last year. He started to turn around already this year, which I was happy to see after I made this pick. And it's a former teammate of uh, Jose Ramirez, and it's Francisco Lindor. I think that if the Mets are going to make the playoffs and be really good this year, he has to be a huge part of that lineup. Um, I know they have Pete Alonso there, but outside of that, they don't really have any star power players. Maybe like Starling Marte, even Mark Kanha. But I still don't think either of them are at the level of Francisco Lindor, like stardom. So I, he has to be a huge part of that lineup if they want them, to, if they need, if they want to make the playoffs. That is, wow. Okay, Francisco Lindor. That was not something I was expecting to hear at all, really. I'm. <laughs> that is that is. I think that's the boldest pick we've had today. Um, and now the last thing that we will predict, of course, is the stat leaders, because I always find this to be very interesting to figure out. And so average hits, home runs, RBIs, and steals for the hitters will do, and then ERA, Ks, and whip. So to start it off with the average, I'm going to do both leagues. I don't know if you want to do that or not, but I have the league leader in average. Being Mike Trout, I think he's going to hit some unreal numbers. I think he's going to have a new high this year and maybe have his best season ever by the end of the year. I think that your MVP pick, Jose Ramirez, finishes with the most hits, though. I don't know how well, um, how many games Trout will play. I feel like he'll get some load management days, and I don't know if Jose Ramirez will. So I think that he'll finish with probably like 200-plus hits this year. For home runs, I, I picked an angel, but it's Otani. I think he's going to repeat as champion. I think he's going to hit like 50 home runs this year. I wouldn't be surprised because we saw last year, he just put on a show near the end of the year. Wow, that was a really bad pun that I didn't intend. Um, RBIs, I think it's going to be Trout though. And he's going to finish with like 130 plus RBIs because he's just that guy. And for stolen bases, I'm going to mention an Oriole. It's going to be Jorge Mateo. And I don't care what you say. Now, in the the pitching categories, I think Gosman finishes the year leading the league in ERA. I think that he finishes leading the league in Ks. And I think that he finishes leading the league in WHIP. I think he's just going to be that good. I have Gosman winning that little triple crown there for the pitchers in the AL. Well... We have some similar uh, things. For average, I have Jose Ramirez winning it. I think he hits like 330. And I also have Mean League and hits. I think you had that too. I think he hits like 330 this year and just goes insane. Um, For home runs, I had Aaron Judge. I think Yankee Stadium helps him up a lot. I think Fenway Park helps him out a lot. I think he plays at a lot of, hit, lot of hitters' ballparks. And he's going to face a lot of, like, decent pitching and half decent pitching between the Orioles. The Red Sox have some low-end starters that he could tee off of. Same with, like, the Rays, I feel like, have some low-end starters that they can tee off of. 
So I have him leading the AL in homers. For RBIs, I also, again, have Jose Ramirez. I think if he wins MVP, he's going to have to dominate in all these categories. So I have him the home runs shy of the triple crown. But I think for RBIs, he definitely is going to be like one of the main guys driving and runs on that team. So I think with the amount of hits he's going to get, he's going to have to like drive in at least the guys that are in front of him. So for stolen bases, I once again went Jose Ramirez. He's one of those guys that can get you 25, 30 a year. I think he can really turn it on if he wants to. I could see him being a 30, 30 season. I don't know how much I really believe in this pick. I get, there's definitely guys in the AL that are faster than him, like Julio Rodriguez, who's already got 10. Uh, Mateo has 10. Um, there's definitely teams that are more aggressive, too, um, in the AL with stolen bases. So I don't know how like true this pick actually becomes, but I, I think if he wants to win MVP, he has to get at least the 30-30 season, and I that could put him in the stolen base category. All right, and for your pitchers? For my pitchers, for my ERA leader, I have Manoa. I think that, like, once again, with how deep he goes in the game, as long as one to two runs a game, if even if he has a bad start, it won't really affect him that much. But I think I have him as my ERA leader. He was really good last year as well. I have him for my whip leader as well. He gets a lot of strikeouts. He doesn't really walk a lot. So I put him under my whip category because a lot of pitchers in the AL have walk problems. Not Gosman. And my strikeout leader is somebody that I actually like. If this is probably the pick I'm most confident in out of all of them, he's a guy that loves six runs but had 11 strikeouts and like a start the other night. And it's Dylan Cease. Like, no matter what that guy does, I feel like he gets 10 strikeouts to start. Yeah, it seems like all it seems like almost all of the outs that he does get are K's strikeouts. He has nasty stuff. He he really does. Former or former. Uh, what was what deal was he a part of? Was he a part of that uh, Cubs trade? Um, was he part of the Quintana trade? Quintana trade. I think he was part of the Quintana trade. That was a bad trade for the Cubs. Um, yeah, sorry, Eloy Jimenez and him for Quintana. So, sorry, sorry, Benny. Former guest. Hate to see that. Um, but for the NL. In the stat leaders, I have my average and hits as the same guy. It's my MVP. It's Trey Turner. I think he's going to turn it on at the end in come summertime, and he's just going to set the league on fire. I think that for home runs, I have a guy on a last-place team. I think Juan Soto is going to do it. I think he's probably going to end the year with like 42 to 43 home runs and – I don't really think anybody's going to come really that close to him in the AL, in the NL. I mean, maybe Harper Uh, for RBIs. I have the guy who's going to make Trey Turner, the league leader in runs scored. And that's Freddie Freeman. I know he hasn't been setting the legal light quite yet, but again, I think once Turner starts getting on base more, I think Freeman's going to get a lot more RBIs. And I think he's probably going to end with the 110, 120 that, that range stolen bases. I think it's the fast, the second fastest guy in the league behind Jorge Mateo and it's Harrison Bader. He already has a bunch of stolen bases, also an inside the park home run, but he's just going to steal every single base for that Cardinals team. And I think that's going to be a huge part of their run in the playoffs 
is just him getting on base and stealing as many bags as possible. And then for the pitchers, ERA is going to be Rodon. I think he's already maybe leading the league in ERA for starters. I think for strikeouts, he's also going to lead the league. Because just like he said with Dylan Cease, it seems like even when he doesn't put up his best start and goes five innings, gives up three or four runs, he still always ends up with like nine or 10 Ks. And then for whip, I think it's the madman himself, Max Scherzer. I, he's just, he's Max Scherzer. I expect nothing less from him. (laughs) Once again, we're really kind of far off. I mean, average, I also have Trey Turner. I think he's going to lead the league and turn it around for hits. I have Francisco Lindor. That's just part of the MVP run. I have him on. I think he's going to have to lead the league in hits and get a decent amount of home runs and RBIs. For home runs, I have Matt Olson. I think he destroys in the Atlanta ballpark and just all the ballparks in the NL East. I think he is one of those guys that he'll hit 250, but he's going to hit 47, 48 homers, um, especially with a little bit of support around him where they can't just do what they did in Oakland, so to say, and just pitch around him. I think he actually has to get pitched to, and he's going to mash pitching. My RBI leader, he's on a division winner for me. I think Nolan Arenado batting fourth in that lineup, just driving in Paul Goldschmidt and Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill and all those players. Tommy Edmond, all those players are going to hit in front of him that just steal bags and get into scoring position. I think he's going to really thrive in that offense. If my stolen bets, uh, stolen bets, well, there it is. Um, stolen base leaders is Mookie Betts. I think. I think Trey Turner is faster, but I think Mookie Betts leading off and Turner batting third is definitely going to help Mookie and just getting on first, stealing second, Freeman hitting him over to third, and then Turner getting him in. I think it's just the uh, the Dodgers really understand how to win games and manufacturing runs. And Betts has been a run leader for quite some time now. Even in his Boston days, he was always getting driven in. So I think he – Stolen bases was always a big part of his game, so I think he's going to lead the league in stolen bases over there. For my pitchers, my ERA leader, I have Corbin Burns. I He's just so nasty. His cutter and slider and sinker, and no matter what he throws, it just doesn't get touched. My K leader, I have Walker Bueller. It's not looking too hot right now, but he's one of those players that not only does he have great off-speed stuff, but he has an overpowering fastball that gets by players. In my whip, I had Corbin Burns again. Well, I had Josh Hader as my Cy Young, but I don't think he'll qualify for any of these. I don't think he's throwing 162 innings as a closer. So Corbin Burns is also my whip leader. I have him as a close second or third in Cy Young voting. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that those are – despite our picks being very different, I think that I agree with most of your picks. I think they can – are definitely conceivable. I think the only one that I would really, I'm not really sure about is the, uh, the bats pick in stolen bases. I don't know how aggressive the Dodgers will really be on stolen bases this year, but you mentioned Matt Olson. I realized we never talked about who we thought was going to win world series MVP. That's my pick actually, Matt Olson. I think he's going to be a huge part in that run. And I think he's going to match like 20 home runs in the, in the postseason alone, <laughs> not actually, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him hit like seven or eight and have three of them come in the, the World Series. Yeah, for my World Series MVP, I actually have a pitcher. I think Max Freed starting game one, 
potentially game five and closing out a game six or seven has him winning World Series MVP. Interesting pick. And now going from that very long-winded segment, we're jumping in to our second to last Mount Rushmore's ever. We have gone through, this will be the 27th and 28th teams, and then 29 and 30 will be in the next episode. But today, we've got two pretty historic franchises, one historic for winning and one historic for losing. Sorry, Connor Rubin. It's the Guardians and the Cardinals. I think that uh, I'm just going to start off with the, the Cardinals because I think that there's three obvious ones. Stan the Man Musial, Bob Gibson, possibly the best pitcher of all time, and Ozzie Smith, possibly the best defender of all time, behind Brooks Robinson. Go O's. But I think that with Stan, Stan Musial is the staple of that Cardinals team for so long. He was great defensively, great offensively. He is one of the most striking figures in Cardinals history, along with Bob Gibson, who is obviously one of the most dominant pitchers. He changed the rules of baseball. So naturally he had to be on there. And then Ozzie Smith is my third pick. He hit like seven home runs in his career. (laughs) Not actually, but really close to it but his defense was just so good. And he's one of my favorite players to watch old highlights of because on defense, he was just incredible. And then my fourth pick for the Rushmore is actually two guys, but it's a battery and that's Yachty and Wainwright. I don't think I could leave either of them off the list. They are so dominant together for so long, helped the Cardinals win multiple World Series titles. And it's just the one of the best catchers of all time with one of the better not best pitchers of all time but with one of the better batteries of all time and one of the most well known for sure and then my honorable mention i kind of felt bad not adding some players so instead of doing a player i did budweiser i think that it's the especially the budweiser sign in right in in the in bush stadium i just I, I love how important Budweiser is to St. Louis. So I figured why not have some fun and add it as my honorable mention for the Cardinals world, uh, world series. Wow. The Cardinals Mount Rushmore. For me, I had a somewhat similar list. I had Stan Musial obviously on there. I had Bob Gibson on there. I think he's the greatest pitcher of all time. I had to throw him on mine. My number three is Rogers Hornsby. Um, I think he is the greatest second baseman of all time. He, a tr- two-time Triple Crown winner, two-time MVP, World Series winner, Hall of Famer. He is always – he was just one of the greatest players of all time, a career batting average of 360. For my fourth Mount Rushmore and my last Mount Rushmore player on the Rushmore is a guy that he – I think he is one of the reasons why the Cardinals are so well-known, and that is – Mark McGuire. I think like he brought baseball back single-handedly in the late 90s and the home run race with Sammy Sosa. And it really created, not created the Cardinals, but really cemented them in baseball history. They had always had top players in the past and like them just continuing into the new century really cemented them as one of the greatest franchises in baseball history. And then my honorable mention is 
Albert Pujols, he's one player that you cannot ignore in their franchise. He was insane. Rookie of the year, three-time MVP. Um, eventually, he did sign with Los Angeles, but he's back now, and he was on track to be the greatest player of all time those first 10 years in St. Louis. For sure. I don't think there's any any argument there. Obviously, I wish that I could include more guys, but I just wanted to have a little more fun with my honorable mention, so I went with with beer, uh, which I've never drank before because I'm under 21. Uh, but then the other team that we're doing today is the Guardians. Now, I think that there's a couple of guys that are like don't even need to be mentioned and don't even need to be thought about I mean that need to be mentioned Bob Feller one of the greatest pitchers to touch dirt in the majors he's led the league in so many categories that it's I would be here all day talking about him also one of the most recognizable windups in history for sure the little, the, the real windup, he legitimately wound up. Number two is Jim Tomey. I think one of the better power hitters and obviously Tomey played for a lot of teams in his career, but his best years were with the guardians hitting so, so many home runs for them. My third name, we've got a, we've got a real old school guy here born in a, well, I don't even know. In the 1870s, I think. Nap LaJoy. Triple crown winner. All-time leader in war. Batting average of over 330 on his career. Over 3,000 hits. And, you know, he led the league in home runs a few times. Most notably with 14. <laughs> and did his career with 82 home runs. He played in the dead ball era. And, like, the dead, dead ball era. But he's a triple crown winner. Led the league in average so often. All-time leader in war for the franchise, like I mentioned. So I couldn't leave him off. And then my fourth and final pick on the Rushmore. Again, I decided to have a little fun with these and not just stick with players. I went with the PR team that changed the Guardians name to the Guardians. Not because I love the name the Guardians, but it was long overdue for a change. So I had to give those guys their, their, due, their due shout. And then honorable mention, I wanted to go with a, with a current player. Obviously, I wanted to include Kenny Lofton because I just love Kenny Lofton. He was such a good player. But I'm going with your MVP pick for this season. It's Jose Ramirez. He's been so good for so long. He's top 10 in war uh, in his career. And I wouldn't be surprised if he wins a couple of MVPs, even triple crowns. I know that's a long shot because it's so hard to lead the league in all of those categories, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did it at some point in his career. And I had to give him his, his shout as the honorable mention for my guardians. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of similar. I have Nap LaHoy as my on there. I have Bob Feller on there easily. Um, I did have Jim Tomey on there as well for all the reasons that you've mentioned. My fourth name was Kenny Lofton, um, which, once again, I think he's just one of the staples in their history. But my honorable mention was – I went a little broader here because I couldn't pick, a, couldn't pick one player. So I went the entire 2016 team, the team that made the World Series and forced the Game 7. That team was so good. 
Corey Kluber, Francisco Lindor, Jose Ramirez, Jason Kipnis, Carlos Santana, Carrasco. They had Danny Salazar was really good that year. Trevor Bauer on when he was first coming up. Like they had Andrew Miller, who just recently retired. That team was insane. Mike Clevenger, who's now a star on in San Diego. Uh, they just had so many players that went on to do great things, not only for them, but also for other organizations. So I had a, I did the entire team because they also had Michael Brantley and then they had some players that like it brings back good memories for me, like Coco Crisp and Marlon Bird and just Juan Uribe. And it was just one of those teams that it was hard not to like until they had to face the Cubs in the World Series. Yeah, you mentioned that they forced a game seven, which isn't entirely true because the Cubs forced that game seven because, you know, the the then not known as the Guardians, but are now the Guardians, uh, they, they blew a 3-1 lead. Again, I'm sorry, Connor Rubin, but I'm sure that's making Benny happy. He's probably going to listen to this and watch another highlight tape of the 2016 Cubs. But thank you guys so so much for listening and sticking with us for this a little bit of an elongated episode and please come back next time for the last Rushmore of the series again thank you so much stay safe and have a great baseball season